You know, I've heard that all ascension beings and anything, but I've heard from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all ascension beings may attain brotherhood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all ascension beings may attain brotherhood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all our steps on the path of omniscience, may these arise in the clear mirror of the intellect. Oh, <clears throat> on Jews tree, please accomplish this. Hey, good evening. Welcome. Hi. So tonight we continue uh, our exploration of the philosophical writings of the third Lord, the Lord, Lord Rongjung Dorje, the third Karmapa. So we've we've gone through uh, Longchenpa. We did some uh, hefty Longchenpa texts. Now Rongjung Dorje. We did a little me palm here and there. Um, so next we have a choice between Tsongkhapa, the head of the Galukpas, Gorompa, this uh, radical uh, Sakyapa, or me palm, more me palm, and, and get into me palm on Gentong uh, and things like that. So think about that. Uh, Make sure to uh, come out and vote in the, in the midterms. And tonight, I thought you had mentioned Derek something about meditation. Yeah, next next is meditation, and then but like for the next philosophical journey, oh. and then uh, tonight we're we're did you going. Send us, did you send a survey? I must have missed it. No, 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 no more oh, service. Okay. No more democracy. No democracy. And uh, tonight, I com I'm vowing that we're going to make it to the discrimination between consciousness and wisdom. But first, now this. Uh, the Karma Trinlipa's explanation of the Sugat Heart that I missed last week when I mistakenly went into Paul Sugluk Trangwa's presentation on similar topic. So, Buddha Nature, part 100, take 108, and let's see if we can get it this time. Let's see if I can get it this time. I don't know about you guys, you got it the first time probably. You already have it. So, <laughs> so here's a nice little summary that begins on page 312, uh, 13 actually, and uh, I, I thought it was fairly good little presentation summary. So, the glorious Guru, Rongjung Dorje, holds that the Sugata heart is the nature of Datu and wisdom inseparable, just ordinary mind, which is free from being real or delusive, like a reflection of the moon and water and beyond identification and characteristics. Now, this, this uh, use of the terms Datu and wisdom 
being inseparable may seem a little odd. You know, what does that mean, datu and wisdom? We think we know what wisdom is, so that's the easier part, we think. But what is datu? Datu, we have dharma datu. It's the space of pure dharma. And we have uh, the rupa datu, the, the three realms, kama datu, rupa datu, and arupa datu, the three realms of samsara. And then we have the 18 datus, the mind, consciousness, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, consciousness, and their objects, the sense organs, their objects, and the consciousness that arises from them. Uh, so we have that datu, and in that sense, datu means element. And uh, in this case, it's indicating the element that is the disposition for Buddhahood, similar to uh, Gotra, as we've seen earlier, and, and uh, the difference between Gotra and Garba. Garba is the primordially present uh, quality or primordially present um, reality of Buddha nature that is the true nature of all sentient beings that is unchanging throughout the three times as it was before so it is after and the gotra is the disposition the inclinations that one has um, that sort of drive one to become so and so or do so and so or strive for so and so and there's a uh, unawakened dispositions or genes and there's awakened genes and uh, the idea is that there's some dispositions that all beings have for uh, cultivating the, the path Shila Samadhi Prajna and the three Prajnas in particular and that in some beings those dispositions for cultivating the path are dormant and instead they cultivate the, the dispositions for uh, greed and avarice and sloth and uh, attachment to sense pleasures and so forth, talking about me. And then in some other beings, the, there's the uh, disposition for learning and cultivating the path that is awakened that is active and by cultivating those dispositions we're able to then uh, reveal the primordially present Buddha nature is the general idea so uh, this, the Sugata heart equivalent to Tathagata to, to Tathagata Garbha is the nature of Datu and wisdom being inseparable so uh, element or disposition or genes and wisdom, wisdom being um, also like a, a primordially present quality, but uh, one that that can be cultivated and developed. Whereas Tathagata the Garbha does not change, wisdom changes, dispositions change and grow and develop. Being inseparable, just ordinary mind. So they're inseparable in our ordinary mind. They're, they're there. 
which is free from being real or delusive. So it's neither real nor delusive, neither one extreme nor the other, like a reflection of the moon and water beyond identification and characteristics. Sort of like all other phenomena. For the, uh, the treatise called Pointing at the Tathagata Heart, composed by this Lord, says all is neither real nor delusive, held to be like a reflection of the moon and water by the learned. Just this ordinary mind is called Dharmadhatu and heart of the victors. Interesting way to refer to the situation that Sugata Garba and Dharmadhatu are basically uh, equivalent. Here, Dhatu refers to the naturally luminous Dharmadhatu. Um, therefore, the meaning of Dharmadhatu is understood as follows, since both samsara and nirvana are not really established as something different from their own side. The entirety of what appears as dualistic phenomena such as samsara and nirvana, factors to be relinquished and remedies apprehender and apprehended, or objects of expression and the means of expression, is of equal taste with the essence of non-duality, the great primordial indestructible sphere. Now, um, sphere 792 is uh, 792. This term is a synonym for the Buddha heart, with further synonyms including Mahamudra, Konate Wisdom, or Koemurjan Wisdom, Dharmadhatu, and Prajnaparamita. The primordial indestructible sphere. It is indestructible through any dualistic phenomena, and a sphere in the sense of its never uh, its nature, sorry, never changing from the states of ordinary beings, sentient beings, up through Buddhahood. It is great, since all phenomena never go beyond its nature, since it cannot be pointed out through anything within the webs of reference points, such as having an identity or identitylessness. It is not asserted to be any of the many forms of appearance in samsara and nirvana whose root it is. At the same time, it is what may appear as anything and everything without exception. Thus, um, be, uh, as demonstrated by this explanation, which is basically incomprehensible and includes all possibilities and, ex and pairs of like opposites and extremes, it is inconceivable. <laughs> so. We're, we're endlessly trying to describe something that's beyond description and beyond concept and, con and beyond conception in order to, to try to get us to the understanding of something that is uh, beyond conception and, and thereby experience the falling apart of the conceptual framework, I think. Now, if you look at the glossary, by the way, on page 379, and there is a glossary. Um, the term for sphere is calm, 
the translator doesn't give that in the note, but the term for sphere is uh, calm, K-H-A-A-M-S. And uh, if you look on 792 in the glossary, the entry gives uh, calm as the Tibetan and then the Sanskrit is Datu. <laughs> so it's a little bit circular. Anyway, uh, forging ahead, this is called Dharmadatu, which is stated in the commentary on the Dharmadatu Stava, which is the praise of Dharmadatu composed by this Lord Rangjan Dorje, the commentary that he wrote on the Garshana's praise to Dharmadatu. As for Dharmas, there are the two modes of being of factors to be relinquished and those which are remedies. As for the Datu of these, as for the Datu of these two modes of factors, the realms, the sphere, the element, the space, it is the suchness that cannot be analyzed as something different and in which there is no distinction between apprehender and apprehended or objects of expression and means of expression. What is this nature is the essence of Buddhahood. So, various ways and means trying to point out the realm of the inconceivable. This passage appears based on the scriptural source, which is the following statement in the Dharma Dharmatava Bhaga by Maitreya, the distinction between Dharma, which are uh, pure being, and, uh, sorry, dharmas which are of impermanent, empty phenomena, appearances, and dharmadhatu, pure being, dharma, sorry, dharmata. The defining characteristic of the nature of phenomena is suchness. All phenomena have that defining characteristic suchness, which is without a difference between apprehender and apprehended or objects of the designation and what designates them. Whereas the relative aspect of all phenomena uh, is different depending upon the uh, whether we talk of them as the object of designation or what designates them. As for the meaning of natural luminosity, another interesting term, natural luminosity, not luminosity that's created by a, a lamp or a candle or some such. I've already explained elsewhere that nature, essence, actual mode of being, and so on are synonyms. Luminosity is the Dharmadhatu's own light, which is beyond identification and characteristics. Therefore, the gist of this is that Within this actual mode of being of mind's nature, various creative displays of its own impeded radiance appear, but that this is free from all reference points of being this and not that. The term Datu, in the nature of Datu and wisdom being inseparable statement, has already been explained above. As for wisdom, since the Sanskrit word Jnana refers to wisdom, consciousness and realization. In this context, the meaning of wisdom is understood as personally experienced awareness, which is another highly elusive term, sometimes translated as individually realized or um, 
what he says, personally experienced, individually experienced awareness, which eludes me to be honest with you, but it is used, this odd phrase. Therefore, it is expressed as wisdoms, wisdom in terms of lucidity, illumination, and awareness. Lucidity is the quality of illuminating, and loose, uh, illumination is the quality of being illuminated, and awareness is that which is illuminating and illuminated. Thus, the meaning of the nature of Dhatu and wisdom being inseparable is understood as the personally experienced awareness of mind being profound and lucid in a non-dual way. The awareness of mind being profound and lucid in a non-dual way, the personally experienced awareness. I think sort of similar to ordinary mind that they used earlier, he used earlier as the commentary in the two-part Hevaja Tantra composed by this Lord Ranjan Dorji says, as for wisdom, all phenomena are mind. Mind is self-awareness. Self-awareness is, you got it, bliss. And bliss is freedom from reference points. Very logical progression. If you are enlightened, <laughs> I guess. Um, if sealed in this way, sealed, Sealed as in the sense of Mahamudra, the great seal. Another extremely elusive term. What, is, what does seal mean in Mahamudra? Um, if sealed in this way, there are the threefold sealing, <laughs> the threefold consolation and the four kayas. This is the wisdom that realizes the true reality of entities. So in other, you know, sort of in other words, we have um, this incredibly incomprehensible, inconceivable, beyond the, the fathoming ability of rational, normal mind, uh, experience or entity or reality of Buddhahood, that is trying to be conveyed in various ways and because of its nature being beyond conception it is extremely hard to understand and they end up using these very bizarre terms and when all phenomena are realized to be the mind's manifestations all phenomena are the mind's manifestations when we realize this thoughts about outer reference Outer objects are relinquished. When the mind is realized to be self-awareness, thoughts about red and white are relinquished. Now, nobody ever said anything about red and white, but usually this is a Vajrayana reference to the, uh, the elements that are received from the mother and the father the, uh, of wisdom, bliss and luminosity or... Um, Wisdom and emptiness, the two qualities that come together uh, in the conception of a sentient being from what is contributed from the, the female and the male partner, parents, rather. So, uh, thoughts about red and white are relinquished. That is such a weird phrase. I don't know. When, when self-awareness is realized to be bliss, Thoughts of suffering and indifference 
are relinquished. That sounds reasonable. When bliss is realized as freedom from reference points, thoughts of clinging to entities are relinquished. I think this is sort of like a meditation text where it's like uh, they're weaving these very um, interesting, sort, sort of a, um, compelling, and at the same time incomprehensible statements together in such a way that it sort of captures your attention and yet gives you no basis for understanding what the hell they're talking about. Just my experience. I'll speak for well, myself. On some level, the, the, the presumption must be that the audience at the time that he wrote this might have been more, you know, would have been more savvy and familiar with like those, that the Bardo dissolution process and that red and white and all that stuff. And so that might not be as cryptic, might not have been as cryptic within the culture he wrote it. Whereas here you have to assume a certain amount of experience with that. Certainly possible. The meaning of being free from being real or delusive, like a reflection in the moon and water, and beyond identification and characteristics. That's the easy stuff. That's the easy part. <laughs> Ordinary mind. It's natural consciousness. This very present moment of mind, unaltered by contrivance, scheming, and so on. Though this Buddha heart is neither confined nor biased, its remedial side may well be express, expressed rather, sorry, through the term virtue. From the state of sentient beings up through Buddhahood, it lacks any distinctions of good and bad and is beyond conventional terms, speech and expression, but it represents a continuous stream since time without beginning. Its essence is unchanging and it bears the nature of being a cause, but at the same time, it abounds with many qualities. Though ground and fruition are inseparable, it appears as being pure or impure, respectively. Okay. This Buddha heart is neither confined nor biased. <clears throat> I just went back a few sentences. Okay, so now to explain the meaning of this a bit further. Thank you very much. The essence of Dhatu and wisdom being inseparable lacks any confinement, such as permanence or extinction, and bliss, such as factors to be relinquished in remedies. The inseparability, the essence of Dhatu and wisdom being inseparable lacks any confinement and bias. Therefore, it is established as the all-pervading sovereign. The all-pervading sovereign. This... This is a reference to the idea that the mind creates everything and thereby is the all-pervading sovereign. And we don't necessarily mean my mind or your mind or the great big mind, but we mean that the mind in general creates everything. General mind five-star general mind. Uh, Rajan Dorje says, the cause is beginningless mind as such, though it is neither confined nor biased, etc. It is referred to as virtue because it is beyond the characteristics of non-virtue. But since it is not of the nature of karma, 
it is not a real entity that is virtuous in the norm, i.e., in the normal uh, dualistic sense. It is said to be the remedy that purifies the Aliya consciousness because it is the seed of the Dharmakaya of all Buddhas. Though it pervades all mundane states, it is the outflow of the pure Dharmadhatu. So, how do we describe like Buddhahood and ignorance being <clears throat> uh, coexisting as possibilities in all sentient beings at all times? How can that be? How can there be Buddha nature, Buddhahood present at the same time as ignorance and confusion? It pervades all mundane states. Therefore, it is the outflow of the pure Dharmadhatu. Therefore, it is asserted that it has the nature of being the cause for realizing the Dharmas of the Noble Ones. The Mahayana Samgraha, the Compendium of Mahayana by Asanga, which is quoted in Rangjan Dorje's auto-commentary, says, The small, medium, and great latent tendencies for listening are to be regarded as the seeds of the Dharmakaya. So those are the dispositions for enlightenment, listening. Uh, and, and when he says for listening, he doesn't mean like, hey, listen up, guys. <laughs> or he does, he's not talking about the, the, the sense of hearing. He's, that's shorthand for listening, contemplating, and meditating, the three stages of the development of transcendent wisdom. Since they are the remedy for the Aliya consciousness, which is what needs to be overcome in order to uh, reveal Buddhahood, they are not of the nature of the Aliya consciousness. So this idea that that even though we're our, our being is made up of the eight consciousnesses, which all come out of the Aliya, the eighth consciousness, at the same time, there's these seeds, these dispositions for Buddhahood that somehow coexist in the same equation. And by cultivating those seeds, the Aliya consciousness is ultimately split asunder and dissolves at that stage of the, t- the end of the 10th Bhumi. Priscilla, sorry. Eric, the, the Aliya consciousness dissolves. Is that how it becomes pure? Yes, it is. It, it is pure. pure. It's still there, right? It's pure. Uh, does he say that it becomes pure? I thought it it's the remedy. I thought I thought it said something about I think the idea is that it it disappears. I don't think in the it prior, becomes pure. Well it does say in the prior paragraph the remedy that purifies the Aliya consciousness. Purifies, yeah. So but I think it purifies it out of existence, I think is the I know. think so. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it trans- pure. Like, yeah, it's not really it's just it dissolves so it's not that makes it pure but it's not there anymore yes I think that's it's, a way to- it, it, uh, it no longer appears as the oh, Aliya consciousness and instead it of it appears it appears as, the, as one ah. of the five wisdoms anyone remember which wisdom it, it becomes is it the Dharmadhatu? No, it's actually not. Oh, shoot. I've forgotten already. Dharmakaya. No, not Dharmakaya. Okay. It's uh, four wisdoms in this case, actually. Oh, 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 right. That one doesn't count. 
It's the the one on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Oh, Vajra. Mirror-like uh, wisdom. Mirror-like wisdom. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. In the sense of being a remedy, there's something mundane, these dispositions. But since they are the natural outflow of the super-mundane, they are, are the outflow of the pure Dharmadhatu, these dispositions, the utterly pure Dharmadhatu, they are the seeds of super-mundane mind. Though these seeds have not become manifest in sentient beings just as they are, through merely focusing on them, samsara is relinquished and they are united with enlightenment. The Mahayana Samgraha continues, although this super-mundane mind has not originated yet, they are the remedy for being entangled in samsara through the afflictions, the remedy for migrating in the lower realms, they referring to those dispositions and the remedy that makes all wrongdoing vanish. They are what is in complete concordance with the meeting of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and their Ratnavali, which is one of the six texts on logic or reasoning by Arya Nagarjuna. Uh, the Precious Garland in English says, In those of little merit, not even doubt about this dharma arises. Even the arising of doubt about this will tear samsaric existence into shreds. This is one of the uh, famous quotes from Nagarjuna, and also Arya Deva has a similar statement about the power of just a little glimmer of doubt about oneself, about reality, about the world, about samsara ultimately leads to the realization of Buddhahood. Doubt about whether we really know what the fuck is going on. Doubting that begins the process of setting out on the path and finding out what actually is true. So, in this case, we're talking about positive doubt as opposed to negative doubt, such as in the trap of doubt. If you studied your Shambhala, you know that. Uh, let's see. Since the essence of naturally luminous mind is such, the Dharmadhatu. So here we have luminous mind being called the Dharmadhatu, equated with Dharmadhatu, is emptiness. It is unchanging throughout all states and presumably all times. Therefore, the ground, the suchness of sentient beings, the path, the suchness of bodhisattvas, and the fruition, the suchness of Buddhas, cannot be divided as things by virtue of being better or worse. I'm sorry, cannot be divided as different things by virtue of being better or worse, higher or lower, and so on. All suchness blends into one. That was not in the text, that was my edition. As pointing out the Tathagatahart says, it is neither to be improved by the noble ones. They can't like make it better, make it look better, and sell it for a higher price, nor made worse by sentient beings. As for realizing this just as it is, it is solely an object of Buddha wisdom. It is inconceivable even for bodhisattvas on the ten bhumis. So why are we even bothering trying to understand this? Okay, just kidding. 
therefore it is beyond terms and thinking and though it may be expressed through many words and conventional terms it's inexpressible the same text says it may no doubt be expressed through many conventional terms but its actual reality is not understood through expression before this natural purity there are absolutely no buddhas or sentient beings who did not arise from this since it is not established as any real substance it is of the nature of dependent origination there is no beginning in terms of a first arising or in terms of any real substance the text meaning that pointing out the Tathagadar by Rangjung Dorje says here beginningless means that there is absolutely nothing before that in the basic element the Sugata heart so these terms are being used <coughs> somewhat synonymously we have Datu we have uh, calm the sphere we have Dharma Datu we have the naturally pure mind so here we have the basic element the Sugata heart Tathagata Garbha there's no other creator or previously existent new Buddha qualities you can't you can't create Buddha qualities but it primordially abides in a way of being inseparable from all these qualities thus bearing the defining characteristic of its essence not changing into anything else therefore it's presented in the sense of basic element or cause the text says the basic element is without creator but since it bears its own characteristic it is called that way you got to talk about it somehow i guess within the creative display of the unimpeded radiance of this buddha heart that's a nice phrase being indivisible from it there dwell the tens of millions times 64 inseparable qualities summarized as the qualities of freedom and maturation those two qualities freedom or abandonment of negative propensities and the maturation of positive ones the text says as for the unimpeded play of this the 64 qualities which were the 64 qualities of buddhahood that we went through numerically in detail in some one of the other texts are a coarse classification each one is said to consist of tens of millions of different buddha qualities the dharmas that are these qualities are called stainless qualities at the time of buddhahood and stained during the phase of sentient beings and you see in the profound treasury of the ocean of dharma volume 2 chung she calls uh, speaks about stained and unstained genes um, let's see the text says therefore nadis vayus and tilakas when pure are the pure rupakayas <coughs> And nadis, vayas, and tilakas are the inner elements, are the elements of the inner subtle body, uh, usually called nada, nadi, prana, and bindu. Unpurified, they are the impure rubakayas. Throughout the auto commentary, also says many times that these qualities are obscured during the phase of sentient beings and unobscured during the phase of the Buddhas. Once this naturally pure ground is purified through being skilled in the means to purify the stains, at the time of being liberated from characteristics, the samadhi of the Dharmakaya that pervades all of space is manifested. 
thus while not moving away from the space like Kaya that is free from being identifiable. Free from being identifiable. <laughs> As if being identified is imprisoning. Free from being identifiable. Well, isn't that another way? I mean, we are, we're in the realm of no characteristics, right? So. Who is? The, I mean, when you're in talking about this realm, we're talking about beyond characteristics. So isn't that what they mean? I have no idea. But. I think so. Uh, here we go. That, that, I lost my place. That is free from being identifiable. The welfare of beings is spontaneously promoted through the rupakayas, which are ornamented with the major and minor marks. Therefore, the phase of its not being pure of even a fraction of stains, not even a fraction, is called ascension being. The phase of just some parts of these stains having become pure, but not all of them without exception, though one is in the process of purifying them, is called Bodhisattva, and the phase of these saints having become utterly pure is called Buddhahood. The text says, at that point in those who have the kaya of space, the manifestation of space, the embodiment of space, the flowers of the major marks will blossom, impure, impure, and pure, and utterly pure in due order. Impure ascension beings, impure and pure bodhisattvas and utterly pure buddhas are expressed as the three phases. Oh, sorry, there it is. Ascension beings, bodhisattvas, and tathagatas. When this Buddha heart is enveloped by the cocoon of ignorance from their perspective of being a cause, it is called disposition. When the Buddha heart is enveloped by the cocoon of ignorance, which is where Rimshi got the the image of the cocoon, presumably, for his Shambhala teachings. Um, it is, it is um, from the perspective of being a cause. It is called disposition, which is twofold, the naturally abiding disposition and the unfolding disposition. Again, Trump Rinpoche in volume two of The Profound Treasury uses these terms, the abiding and the um, uh, I think he calls it awakened. The first is naturally pure mind as such, inseparable from the 64 Buddha qualities. That is the Dharmadhatu whose nature is luminous emptiness, though its essence is indifferentiable. The Abhisamaya Alamkara by Maitreya states, or the ornament of higher realization. But by virtue of the divisions of the phenomena founded on it, its divisions are expressed. <laughs> I don't know if that did anything for you. <laughs> Accordingly, the classification of noble persons, i.e. Shravakas, Prachega, Buddhism, Bodhisattvas, is made by virtue of the gradual process of how, right within the disposition, which is the cause for itself becoming pure of stains, certain parts of its complete purity are realized. Though naturally pure mind is not tainted by the stains of consciousness, the presentation of eight consciousnesses is given by individually distinguishing them through false imagination. So do Buddhas, Buddhas have false imagination since they talk about the eight consciousnesses, I guess. 
That was a trick question. The second disposition is the stainless own essence of the eight collections of consciousness, which abides as the nature of the four wisdoms and is inseparable from the naturally luminous mind as such, the Dharmadhatu, emptiness. Because this is the disposition that is the cause for unfolding the two Rupakayas. This means that through accomplishing the Immaculate Dharmas, the stains of not recognizing the eight consciousnesses' own essence are overcome. And, uh, sorry, are overcome due to which all eight collections are liberated as self-awareness. Once this happens, it is designated by the expression, the eight collections of consciousness have changed state into the four wisdoms. As an appearance for others, these wisdoms appear as the Rubakayas. In brief, these two dispositions are just the divisions of their unity. <laughs> That's a great phrase. God. Lord Dao Shunu. Dao Shunu, one of the disciples of Gampopa, I believe, right? One of the three uh, idiots or something of, of Gampopa. Shomo come on up, I think. Conate mind is such. Chumber chase is co-emergent. Conate mind is such. This is the Dharmakaya. Conate appearances are the light of the Dharmakaya. Accordingly, the unborn fundamental nature of mind is such with stains is the naturally abiding disposition, and its unimpeded radiance is the unfolding disposition. The unborn fundamental nature of mind is such with stains is the naturally abiding disposition, and its unimpeded radiance is the unfolding disposition. Wow. Therefore, this is called the stained unity of the two kayas or the unity of the two stained kayas. Completely pure of stains, the unborn fundamental nature of mind as such appears as the dharmakaya for one's own welfare and its unimpeded radiance as the rupakaya functioning for the welfare of others, thereby accomplishing the two welfares or benefits. Therefore, this is expressed as the stain-free unity of the two kayas. The auto-commentary says, Some may think that the unfolding disposition arises newly, but this is not the case. To present the naturally abiding disposition, the Dharmadhatu, as the eight consciousnesses, such as the Alaya consciousness, is a presentation and classification in terms of false imagination. It's an expedient presentation. Likewise, the unfolding disposition, the very own stainless essence of these eight collections of consciousness, exists as the nature of the four wisdoms, which is the presentation in terms of correct imagination. By virtue of previous states having been overcome through the immaculate dharmas that are grounded in Buddha enlightenment, the mistakenness of the eight collections does not exist anymore later. Therefore, this is coined as the phrase, the wisdom of the fundamental change of state. For this reason, the Madhyanta Vibhaga, which is the distinguishing between the middle and the extremes by Maitreya, says, purity is asserted to be like the purity of the element of water, gold, and space. Accordingly, mind without stains should be regarded as being wisdom and mind with stains to be consciousness. 
and I think those um, that analogy of water, gold, and space are those are things that are uh, rendered to appear as impure when they're mixed with dross or dirt and so forth, but they're actually their own element is never damaged or harmed or stained. Also, Lord Rolpadorje, who was what the I don't know the fifth karmapa or 13th, I don't know, somewhere, states the light rays of this heart exist as what is called the unfolding disposition, and it is held that these four wisdoms are the nature with stains and the unfolding disposition, and that these two dispositions dwell in all beings primordially. Now, certain qualms, qualms should be eliminated. Some say mind. Interesting that the translator used... Uh, capital M, is presented from the perspective of its being lucid and aware of objects. And that's the sort of basic Sautrantika Abhidharma definition of mind, that which is clear or lucid and aware. Matter, mind, and non-associated formations are all three subdivisions of conditioned phenomena. So when they map out the different phenomena, that appear in this world of samsara of ours, there are three types of conditioned phenomena. There are, there are certain unconditioned phenomena, and there are three types of condition. There's mind, there's matter, mind, and then what are called phenomena that are not associated with either matter or mind, which is sort of a, a, a sort of easy, but sort of, odd way of saying there's matter, mind, and something else. <laughs> or the third thing. Mind is what evaluates the specific objects to be evaluated. See, this is the, the early school's definition of mind. Mind is that which has an object, investigates an object. For all these reasons, ordinary mind is not the sugata heart, because this heart is explained to be the unconditioned and spontaneously present. It is established through scripture that there is a common locus between awareness and the basic element. Since the Uttara Tantra says the great sage with his omniscient eye seeing this honey-like basic element of awareness, and likewise this honey-like honey-like <laughs> uncontaminated consciousness that exists in living creatures. Um, so the conclusion is that this basic element of awareness is not produced by cause in the beginning, not established as any nature whatsoever in the middle, and not changed through any condition in the end. Therefore, it is unconditioned since the Uttara Tantra says on Buddhahood, it is unconditioned since its nature is to be without beginning, middle, or end. Furthermore, do you people assert Buddha wisdom to be conditioned? Or do you assert that it is not lucid and aware of objects? In the first case, you claim that the Dharmakaya is conditioned, which is the talk of those who have not learned the terms of the definitive meaning. Um, in the second case, you know, if you say that Buddha wisdom is conditioned, then you're saying that the Dharmakaya is conditioned. In the second one, um, if you assert that it is not lucid and aware of objects. So 
he's saying on the one hand if you assert that it's um it, it, mind is um is a is a, a conditional phenomenon mind as the buddha nature uh, where the uh, the wisdom of the buddha is a conditional phenomena then you don't understand dharmakaya um, and then on the other hand if you say that it is not just the mind that is lucid and aware then you have not learned sorry in the second case omniscient wisdom is deprecated <clears throat> I believe what he's trying to say is that there's a continuum of mind and it's not like there's two different minds like limited mind and ultimate mind but there's a continuum of one mind also the statement matter mind and non-associated formations are subdivisions of conditioned phenomena just means to follow the talk of the proponents of real entities but you would have to come up with a source within the scriptures of definitive meaning such as the Vajrayana that explains things in this sort of limited or beginner level way or simplistic way the scriptures of definitive meaning i.e. those of the third turning or of the Vajrayana same mind is conditioned because it evaluates the specific objects to be evaluated means to be ignorant about the connection between the reason and the subject completely perfect buddha directly knows all phenomena but is not asserted to be conditioned some people come up with the conventional term conditioned naturally abiding disposition for this naturally luminous mind which is a contradiction, right? Conditioned naturally by it. But naturally abiding and being conditioned by causes and conditions are nothing but contradictory. Therefore, a naturally abiding disposition that entails arising and ceasing is an object of ridicule. Some others say, the Tatu is unconditioned, but wisdom is conditioned. So a nature of these two being inseparable is impossible. In fact, I said this earlier, I said wisdom is cultivated and developed. Oh well. <laughs> um, in that case, they should be asked whether they assert that primordial wisdom and conate wisdom are conditioned also. Yet others say, if this heart had the 64 qualities from the very beginning, the qualities of perfect Buddhahood would exist in the mind streams of sentient, sentient beings. And in that case, does the Buddha wisdom in the mind stream of a hell being experience the sufferings of hell? All sorts of contradictory um, conclusions come about or consequences such is indeed said but it is precisely for this reason that we speak about wisdom or luminous mind by making distinction that it is stained during the phase of sentient beings and stainless in the state of a buddha In other words, perfect Buddhahood and its powers and so on do not exist in the mind streams of sentient beings. Perfect Buddhahood and its powers and so on do not exist in the mind streams of sentient beings. This is definitely how it is, but it will be understood through saying again and again, stained Buddhahood and its powers and so on 
do exist in the mind streams of sentient beings. Again, some say the naturally abiding disposition being a continuous stream since beginningless time is the intention of all the words of the Buddha. Therefore, it is tenable, but the statement that the unfolding disposition is not newly arisen is not something one should listen to. If you wonder why, it is because this disposition is explained as the new accomplishment and roots of virtue, as in Uttara Tantra, <clears throat> the supreme of what is, to, what is accomplished. So they're trying to establish that there's some uh, quality or entity or essence of sentient beings that does not change, and that there is some quality, some aspect that does change. And uh, they're sort of emphatic on that, not mixing those two up. If you wonder why this is, this disposition is explained as the new accomplishment of roots of virtue, as in the Uttara Tantra, chapter 1, verse uh, 149, the third line, the supreme of what is accomplished, uh, implying new accomplishment. Therefore, or sorry, furthermore, if the fact that the unfolding disposition abides as a continuum since beginningless time applies to all sentient beings, how could the following verse in the Mahayana Sutra Alamkara, the ornament of Mahayana Sutras by Maitreya, be adduced? Some are solely devoted to wrongdoing, some have completely destroyed the Immaculate Dharma, some lack the virtue conducive to liberation, some have inferior immaculate dharmas, and some lack the cause. Therefore, this should be explained a bit. So this this quote refers to there being different like classes of beings that have different types of dispositions. And there was this view at one point, expressed at one point in the early Mahayana Sutras that there were some beings whose disposition was to uh, lack virtue, conducive to high deliberation, and some beings um, that lacked the actual cause to bring about Buddhahood. They they had Buddha nature, but they didn't have the proper dispositions. Yeah. And this was later Korea corrected and sort of changed over in later sutras. Sorry, Henrietta. All right. Um, does, does this refer to the caste system that was around at that time, or is this not specifically? But it's it's uh, it's a somewhat similar scheme. Mm -hmm. it, it's not it's not necessarily a, an inherited situation that one is born into a certain disposition uh, by virtue of having parents of that disposition as it is in the caste system. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of a classification of beings, which was later said to be uh, uh, a provisional teaching and not an, an expedient, not a, an expedient provisional teaching and not a definitive one. Uh, let's see. In a treasure below the earth, the qualities of all one may wish or need exist right from the start in that treasure. Likewise, the naturally abiding disposition is the naturally luminous dharma, luminous dharma dhatu mind is such in which all but qualities dwell primordially in an inseparable way. So all beings have this same quality, are equal in this way. 
um, but about its having become pure of stains is called having attained one's own welfare, the Dharmakaya, from the very time of the fruit of a palm tree or a mango fruit dwelling inside their respective skins. <laughs> they have the disposition that is the cause for the unfolding of the leaves of a palm tree and the core of a mango which will then actually unfold through additional conditions such as water, manure, warmth, and moisture. I'm not quite sure what the difference between water and moisture is, but likewise the unfolding disposition is the essence of the eight collections of consciousness which abides as the nature of the four wisdoms and is inseparable from naturally luminous mind as such. The empty Dharmadhatu through accomplishing the roots of virtue, it seems as if it increases and then enlightened activity unfolds. This is called having attained the welfare of others, the two Rupakayas. Since the Mahayana Uttara Tantra says the supreme continuum of the greater vehicle by Maitreya, like a treasure and a fruit tree, the disposition to be known as twofold, naturally abiding without beginning, and the supreme of what is accomplished through the past. It is held that the three Buddha Kayas are attained by virtue of these two dispositions. The first Kaya, the Dharma Kaya, through the naturally abiding disposition. And the latter two, the Rupakaya, through the second one, the supreme of what is accomplished. Therefore, though the naturally abiding disposition exists right from the beginning without its essence ever changing, the Dharmakaya will be attained through purifying stains. Likewise, also the unfolding disposition exists indeed right from the start, but through accomplishing the roots of virtue, the supreme enlightened of enlightened activities, the two Rupakayas will unfold. This is why the Uttara Tantra speaks of the supreme of what is accomplished. So on the one hand, one has only to clear away the stains, but on the other hand, one has to develop the potentials or the dispositions. In brief, from the perspective of its looking as if enlightened activity unfolds through accomplishing the roots of virtue, the Buddha spoke of the unfolding disposition. However, the accomplishing of the roots of virtue itself is not the unfolding disposition. Uh, the equivalent Sanskrit term for disposition is dhatu, interestingly, which refers to disposition, basic element, cause, nature, expanse, and so on. Therefore, since the accomplishing of the roots of virtue itself is not this expanse, Dharma, da, da, sorry, Dhatu, it is not the unfolding expanse. But if some people assert that the accomplishing of the roots of virtue is the unfolding disposition, then by the same token it would follow that the gathering of the accumulation of wisdom is the naturally abiding disposition. They had things mixed up. If they accept this, they thereby also claim a common locus between the naturally abiding disposition and the unfolding disposition, and consequently they cannot steer clear of the three circles. Not sure what the three circles are. Um, Columbus Circle and this is an ex this is an expression of the utter defeat of opponents. Okay, whatever. Also, just a, another incomprehensible reference. Also in the context of the nine examples, 
and their nine meanings of, from the Uttara Tantra. There's this famous presentation of nine examples of Buddha nature. What is taught in the example of a fruit is the unfolding disposition. Just the seeds and sprouts that exist in fruits such as mangoes and palm leaves and have this indestructible property of growing, changing into a tree through coming together with earth, water, and so on, gradually become an entity of a majestic tree. So this is the unfolding disposition which is accomplished. Therefore, here, sorry, one needs to examine and thus understand that the seed of a palm tree and the unfolding disposition are correlated as being the example and its meaning. In terms of being correlated as example and meaning, the same goes for the seeds unfolding through earth, water, and so on, and the unfolding of enlightened activity through accomplishing the roots of virtue. With this meaning in mind, the Dharmadhatu Stava, uh, Dharmadhatu Stava by Nagarjuna says that confidence and so forth are what unfold the basic element, confidence. But it does not say that these are the actual basic element. The intention of this must be understood. Also, the Mahayana Sutra Lamkar does not speak about a cutoff, unfolding disposition, which is how some some teachers or texts have understood the statement of there being some have inferior immaculate dharmas and some lack the cause entirely that quote on a couple of pages ago um, let's see he's saying the Mahayana Sutra does not speak about a cutoff of unfolding disposition since it is not a text of the Vijnapti Vadans interesting statement he's saying uh, he's implying that texts of the Vijnaptivadans those who profess consciousness only do actually have a cut off unfolding disposition you can get it on Amazon for a relatively reasonable price therefore having in mind that some beings may temporarily lack the conditions that awaken the unfolding disposition. This text says above, some lack the virtue conducive to liberation, having in mind that some may lack the conditions that awaken the naturally abiding disposition. It says some have inferior immaculate dharmas. Thus the claim of a common locus between the disposition and what is conditioned at the time of the ground as well as the claim of a common locus between Buddhahood and what its condition at the time of the fruit should be known to arise from the eyes that look at the definitive meaning by being blinded through the blurred vision of clinging to dialectics. In other words, eh, that would be like a wrong way of understanding the situation. What a uh, amazingly profound text I really wish I understood it. <laughs> it would be cool if somebody explained that text in detail, like really unpacked it, because it feels like he really like condensed it into this uh, quite amazing presentation. But onward we go after numerous attempts to understand the Buddha nature. But isn't it in a way like the stuff we did way at the beginning that it's it's really saying the same simple thing in a lot over of different and, over and over again? Yeah, we're still talking about something that didn't change, 
and that you know stains are removed but you know it's like but this addition of the disposition it's so interesting it's this this idea that the buddha nature doesn't change but there are dispositions that's like a, a later sort of invention or a way of trying to understand the, so then what does happen on the path and what are those dispositions and how do they relate to the buddha nature and dharma dhatu well, and so you know, forth what struck me is that some teachers talk about that just as being buddha nature itself too i think they do they equate the two which makes it even more confusing but <laughs> anyway so the basic takeaway is that buddha nature is a complicated deep profound topic not to be understood by the limited conceptual mind something like that right okay now we come but, to the but, but we can't help but try <laughs> we have to try you're right thank you we have to try which brings us to finally drum roll the main text in the freaking book which is the reason why i chose suggested this book chose it to suggest which is the commentary by john control on the treaties distinguishing between consciousness and wisdom which i now can't find <laughs> somewhere here. I wish the header on the page gave the text name. Is it 258? Is, is that? That was in your 361. Sorry. No. I think I think it is 258. I think we just did 361. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah, 257. Sorry about that. Off. Okay, then last week we looked at uh, summary. Version of this text. So the treatise on the distinction between consciousness and wisdom. And the summary outline is the little introduction of the composition explaining why he composed it. The meaning of the text comes after that, which is the remainder of the text explaining the aspect of consciousness what's consciousness what's wisdom and how do they sort of differ or relate in the conclusion basically those three parts consciousness goes through what is mistakenness establishing that appearances are mind and that mind is unborn and then it goes through the eight collections of consciousness and how those relate to the situation of mistakenness, appearances, and the unborn quality of mind. And then in the presentation of wisdom, we have the wisdoms, the mirror-like equality, discriminating, this, those uh, three plus the all-accomplishing wisdom. And here we have the fifth, Dharmadhatu wisdom as the Swabhavaka Kaya, this elusive fourth Kaya that seems to be the sum of the three, but more greater than the sum of the whole, the whole of the sum, or something like that. Okay, got that? We dive in now. So, what, what was the first part of the text, do you remember? Just kidding, let's find out. 
commentary that clarifies the meaning of the words of the treatise on the distinction between consciousness and wisdom, an ornament for the intention of Rongjong Dorje. So this commentary is an ornament to uh, illuminate the intent of Rongjong Dorje. I pay homage to the omniscient one. I pay homage to the one known as the victor, Rongjong. So the omniscient one is the Buddha. And then we have Rongjong Dorje, the mighty sage who shows the path to liberation through voicing from his glorious throat. <laughs> The melody of excellent speech endowed with threefold valid cognition. All phenomena of samsara and nirvana have the form of either consciousness or wisdom. The teaching on these principles is the very essence of the 84,000 collections of Dharma. Whoever realizes this puts an end to samsaric existence. Even though understanding and experiencing just a fraction of this, the quintessential nectar in the vase of one's heart will overflow, even through, sorry. Uh, in order for the youth of peace to blossom, youth of peace, I believe, is Manjushri Gosha, I shall comment on this distinguished text. Since you have seen the true reality of all phenomena as being free from obscurations, you have mastery over the wisdom of a Buddha, appearing as Avalokiteshvara in the form of a Nirmanakaya, the Bodhisattva of compassion. Your enlightened activity, which illuminates the Buddha's teachings, is unrivaled on the three planes. So the Karmapa is apparently Karmapas are emanations of. Um, Amitabha and Avalokiteshvara, Compassion and Maitreya. This treatise, which was composed by the mighty victor, Omniscient Rangjan Dorje, has few words and profound meaning. It is explained in three main parts, the introduction of engaging in the composition, the meaning of the text, and the conclusion subsequent to such engagement. The first has three parts, which starts with the title, teaching of the title, the treatise on the distinction between consciousness and wisdom. The text distinguishes the way in which the eight collections of consciousness, which are the root of samsara, exist in sentient beings who are full of mistakenness. The way in which wisdom, the nature of nirvana, appears in Buddhas who are free from mistakenness, and the way in which these two appear as different aspects within the same ground. It is called a treatise um, because of having the two qualities of mending the flaws of mistaken consciousness and protecting the nature of stainless wisdom showing the faults of one view and revealing the excellence of the correct view. The Karmapa chose this title because of its meaning and function <clears throat> with the idea that it is easy to see what the text covers from beginning to end and that it points out its meaning in a concise way. The Chitta Vajra Stava by Nagarjuna, which is the praise to the uh, indestructible mind or heart says samsara is nothing but imagination. 
the lack of imagination is liberation. You should be clear that when they refer to imagination in this way, they're not referring to the type of imagination that we refer to when we say things like, oh, you lack imagination. <laughs> Accordingly, the superimpositions of samsara are a mere division in terms of mind being endowed with the stains of imagination. We're lacking these stains. Therefore, if one realizes this principle, the natural state of all phenomena will be realized instantaneously, completely and thoroughly, and fully, and wholeheartedly, and naturally, organically, and uh, without gluten. I pay homage to all Buddhism, Bodhisattvas here to pay homage is taken as the basis for the following explanation. So, who pays homage? It is the author, Ranjan Dorje. When does he pay homage? At the beginning of composing the treatise. To whom does he pay? To what object does he pay homage? To all Buddhism, Bodhisattvas who dwell, sorry, arrive and dwell in the three times. Buddhas are those who have purified what is to be relinquished, the stainless twofold. Uh, sorry, the two adventitious obscurations and have unfolded. <laughs> Let me unfold this. Uh, the What is to be realized? The stainless twofold knowledge. Bodhisattvas are those who give rise to the mind directed towards enlightenment and have the courageous motivation to benefit others. In what manner does Rangdon Dorje pay homage? He pays homage with his three gates, body, speech, and mind, in a respectful and devoted manner. For what purpose does he pay homage? It is in order to complete the task of composing the text through increasing the accumulation of merit in the mind stream and pacifying obstacles, as well as to attain temporal and lasting happiness, the excellencies of both the higher realms and definite excellence. The excellence of definite excellence. Uh, higher realms, uh, gods and humans and so forth. And definite excellence, I believe, refers to the Buddha path. The Prajnaparamita Sutras, the mother of the victors, which is an epithet for the Prajnaparamita Sutras say, if any sons of good family or daughters of good family say, I pay homage to the Tathagatas, they will all reach the end of suffering. So we should all say that. The commitment to compose the text, having relied on study and reflection, in order to immerse myself in the ways of meditation while dwelling in seclusion, I will express how this principle appears. In terms of the definitive meaning, this Lord Rangjung Dorje led the life of a Buddha. But for the purpose of taking care of childish beings to be guided, he appeared like an ordinary person, taking the training in stainless ethics as his foundation. In the beginning, he studied without bias in the presence of many spiritual friends who were learned and had attained cities. In the middle, he penetrated the meaning of what had been studied, of what he had studied through the precise examination and analysis in his reflection. Having relied on that in the end, he practiced by internally meditating on the meaning of what he had studied and reflected on in a proper way, thus becoming perfectly immersed in the fruition 
In order to do so, he says, I, Rongjun Dorje, dwell in the meditative equipoise of many doors of samadhi and seclusion from outer, inner, and secret distractions, being busy, afflictions, and mistaken conceptions, respectively. So outer distractions are being busy, inner ones are afflictions, neurosis, emotional uh, afflictions, clashes. And secret distractions are mistaken conceptions. Having realized just as it is this profound principle of mistakenness and liberation, it appears clearly for all-knowing wisdom during subsequent attainment, attainment subsequent to the meditative equipoise, with non-referential compassion. So compassion is of three types. The first two types are referential. The first type refers to all sentient beings. The second type of compassion refers to the nature of reality. And the third type of compassion is non-referential compassion, um, which is the highest type of compassion. I, Rongjun Dorje, will explicitly express this very principle for the implicit purpose of others, the fortunate ones to be guided, realizing it. Through this introductory verse, Rongjun Dorje gives an instruction by way of the example of his life. This is also expressed by the second Buddha, Vasubandhu. A lot of people are called the second Buddha. Who else is called the second Buddha? Padmasambhava. Padmasam. Nagarjuna, second Buddha also. Um, in his Abhidharma Kosha, Treasury of Higher Reality, resting in proper conduct and equipped with study and reflection, one then engages in meditation. Persons who wish to attain liberation and omniscience. So two different levels of accomplishment. Liberation occurs at the path of seeing, the first bumi, and omniscience occurs at the end of the tenth bumi, at the path of no more learning, Buddhahood. And are the support for the path leading to such attainment must first keep stainless ethics, the basis for all qualities. The guardian of Suhurleka, letter to a friend, which he writes to a king who happens to be a friend, says, the sage that uh, said that ethics is the foundation of qualities. And by sage here, he means the Buddha. Just like the earth is for what moves and is immovable itself. Those endowed with ethics must then engage extensively in study. You may wonder why that is. In order to attain Buddhahood, you must realize the actuality of twofold identitylessness. This, by the way, is a promotional piece that he wrote upon my request uh, that I could use for promoting the Rime Shedra, the reason and purpose and importance of Rime Shedra. And he, he came through very well, I think. In order to realize that, you need to understand the scriptures and reasonings that allow you to understand the meaning of the Buddha's words and the treatises on it. To understand those scriptures and reasonings, you need to study. If you don't, you will not understand the actuality of twofold identitylessness. And if you do not understand that, you will not know how to familiarize with identitylessness. If you do not know how to familiarize with identitylessness, even if you practice meditation, the prajna which arises from meditation will not arise. 
If that prajna does not arise, it is impossible for the path of seeing of the noble ones to arise. If that path does not arise, it is impossible to attain Buddhahood, which is the culmination of said familiarization. I don't quite agree with the insertion of the word said, but I won't quibble. This is said many times, such as in Asanga's Mahayana Samgraha, Compendium of Mahayana. Since without the latent tendencies for listening and so on, it is not suitable that their result arises. Therefore, if you lack the prajna of studying by virtue of not discriminating what to adopt and what to reject, <clears throat> whatever you do in this life will have little impact. In all your births, your faculties will be dull. Even if you practice meditation, the root of the clinging to identity will not be severed. Thus, there are many such and other shortcomings, and therefore one should um, engage in Rime Shedra courses over and over and over again. <laughs> On the other hand, if you engage in studying, your mind will not be ignorant. <laughs> That's a good one. Since you will be learned and all that can be known through your insight expanding, you will attain the self-confidence of not fearing anything. Since your mind stream is completely liberated, your mind is happy. You will join the ranks of those called learned ones. In all lifetimes, you will have excellent prajna, sharp faculties, and retain what you have studied. You will meet with Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and be able to teach eloquently on the meaning of the Dharma. Your own cognitive obscurations will be purified, and you will unmistakably turn the wheel of Dharma for others. Thus, there are many such and other qualities and reasons for participating endlessly in the Rimeshade. This is proclaimed extensively, such as in the Prajnaparamita, some Chaya Gata, which is one of the earliest Prajnaparamita's texts in the form of pro, uh, verse, verses. Having fully realized the nature of phenomena through prajna, one perfectly transcended the three realms without exception. Through turning the precious wheel, the supreme leader of humans, oh, he, referring to the Buddha, um, in order to extinguish suffering, also taught the Dharma for the world. And in the Ratnakuta, which is a collection of Mahayana sutras, as well as one sutra within that collection, through studying the Dharma is understood, through studying what is worthless is relinquished, through studying evil is abandoned, through studying nirvana is attained. Sort of like a, a Christian school a lesson or something, right? If you engage in the meditation of fools, lacking the progeny of studying and reflection, reflection and not understanding the actuality of twofold identitylessness, even if you attained a little bit of samadhi due to being unable to relinquish the root of the afflictions, you will fall into samsara again and again. An example for this is Ujjaka, the son of the Tirtika, Rama, who gave rise to the ultimate resting and meditative equipoise within a samadhi of emptiness for 12 years. As the Samadhi Raja Sutra says, you may cultivate any Samadhi in the world and the notion of a self may not appear through that. But afflictions will stir up again in you, just as with Udraka's cultivation of Samadhi here. Having attained the eye of the profound prajna of studying and reflecting, you need to intensively exert yourself 
in pursuing meditation. The Samadhi Sambara Parivarta states what expands prajna is studying. Once both it and reflecting are present, then you apply yourself to meditation. From this, you attain, un, you attain unsurpassable city. Also, the Bodhisattva Sambhumika Sutra says, Bodhisattva Dasha Bhumika Sutra, sorry, the, the Ten uh, Grounds Sutra, Ten Grounds of the Bodhisattva. Oh, children of the victors, beginner Bodhisattvas should first be enjoined to do recitations after they have studied a lot. They should be seen off into solitude, <laughs> escorted off the grounds into solitude. Begin with recitations. Where was the study? After they have studied, after that, they study a lot and then it, off to meditation. Aren't the recitations Retreat. part of their study? Yeah. They recite that's over what's and over? Un, that's what's unclear. That's what's unclear. They, mm. but they, they start that as like children, and they don't uh, often they start before they really know what they're reciting. They sort of do it to learn the alphabet and learn terms mm. and so forth. You may wonder what fault there is in not being endowed with meditation through mere study and reflecting that is with meditation, you will not directly realize ultimate reality, period. The Buddha of Atamsaka Sutra states the sweet flavor of sugar cane is not tasted through explaining it endlessly or studying it endlessly. But when you eat the sugar cane, its sweet flavor is immediately evident. Likewise, the actuality of emptiness is not tasted through explanations, but if you devotedly meditate, it will spring forth self-awareness. Therefore, the persons who strive for liberation first purify their three gates of body, speech, and mind through the ethics of renunciation. Then they cut through doubts with the prajna of studying, through the prajna which arises from reflection by means of reasoning. Oh, excuse me. They should contemplate again and again whether they are mistaken regarding the meaning of what they have studied or not, and familiarize themselves with what is unmistaken. Next, if they meditate on the unmistaken meaning in a way of being endowed with the three stages of preparation, main part, and conclusion, through the prajna which arises from the mundane states of Buddhist meditation, they will attain the clear appearance of identitylessness on the path of preparation. So they will they will gain they will attain, sorry, the clear appearance of identitylessness. They will they will experience or understand or see the appearance, the clear appearance, which is the um, not the actual identitylessness, but the, um, uh, what is it? Sometimes it's called the meaning generality of, of, a, of a topic or the um, example wisdom. Sometimes there's this phrase of the example wisdom and the actual wisdom, the mother and the son luminosity or mother and child luminosity. You will see the child luminosity. It is the understanding of the nature of reality that's cultivated and developed on the path. So it's not the actual reality, but it's a facsimile of it. 
and when it appears and and the path involves cultivating that facsimile that conceptual understanding of reality until it becomes uh, lucid and vibrant and vivid and then it becomes a stepping stone for passing through the conceptual aspect of it into the direct non-conceptual experience of it uh, let's see <clears throat> through the prajna which arises from super mundane meditation on the path of seeing so that experience that i just described happens on the path of preparation which is based on the path of accumulation which is focused primarily on the cultivation of virtue and study and uh, meditation of the of the type of meditation called shamatha and then on the path of seeing they will see identitylessness directly <clears throat> on the path of familiarization they familiarize with what they saw on the path of seeing and through the which is emptiness and through the culmination of that familiarization which which um refers to the process of bringing together the experience of emptiness that occurs during meditative equipoise with that which occurs during subsequent attainment so that there's no difference between the meditative equipoise and not being in meditative equipoise ultimately uh, let's see through the culmination of that familiarization they will attain liberation and omniscience the Ratnakuta says dwelling in ethics samadhi is attained having attained samadhi prajna is cultivated through prajna pure wisdom is attained and pure wisdom is perfect ethics sort of circle completes the circle for example when a wheat uh, when a field sorry seeds water fertilizer and heat come together the fruition of harvest will arise if even one of these conditions is lacking the result will not arise in the same way when the ground of ethics the seeds of study and the water fertilizer heat and moisture of reflecting and meditation or meditating sorry are all complete the fruition buddhahood will easily ripen the meaning of the text has three parts beginning with explaining the aspect of consciousness which has four parts beginning with explaining that the root of mistakenness and non-mistakenness is mind as such which itself has three parts which begins with the wrong ideas of others about this on page 264. people think that all sentient beings in the three realms arise either from the selves from something other from both or without a cause they say a creator such as cha ishwara brahma or vishnu outer particles or a real hidden substance creates myself and the world so here we go into a presentation of uh, the understanding of shunyata or emptiness by virtue of understanding uh, dependent the dependently arisen nature of all phenomena that that there's no phenomena which is truly arisen anywhere at any time for, in any way and so to understand that we go through what are, what are the various options phenomena could arise from something else or from themselves or from both or neither and we'll go through those 
And this is a sort of summary of the presentation of uh, Chandra Kirti and his introduction to the Middle Way, which focuses on the uh, the fourfold asp options or aspects of uh, arising of phenomena, and one by one goes through all the different options, showing them to be absurd and thereby revealing the true nature of phenomena to be dependently originated and not independently originated. The significance being that <clears throat> for something to be truly existent, it has to be independently originated. It can't be like the product of some other things coming together because then it's it doesn't really exist as its own thing. It's just a mishmash of other things, which is what dependent origination is. And dependent origination is the nature of all appearance, and so therefore all appearances are the mishmash of all appearances. And there's no initial beginning that is somehow different, and no ending or culmination of the process that is somehow different ontologically. All sentient beings who circle in the three realms of desire, form, and formlessness consist of consciousness and have the nature of being mistaken. <laughs> I.e., consciousness is mistakenness. Interestingly. As for the ways to explain from which causes they arise, childish beings who do not adhere to a philosophical system have no fucking ideas about this at all. Oh, I'm sorry, I think I added something. Because they do not know how to examine and analyze the Tirtikas. So the Tirtikas are, are materialists. They just like, you know, you, what you see is what you get. And there is no karma. And uh, so forth. Who adhere to philosophical systems have wrong ideas about... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Tirtikas is the term for all non-Buddhists, basically. And charvakas is the term for materialists. Sorry about that. My sincere apologies for conf causing confusion. Tirtikas are all non-Buddhists, basically. Who adhere to philosophical systems have wrong ideas about causes and conditions, period. Among Buddhists, the shravakas, i.e. the sort of early schools, realize just a fraction of actual reality just as it is, but do not realize the ways in which appearances are mind. Mind is emptiness, and emptiness arises as dependent origination. Interesting, that the way he brings in that progression of understanding the true nature of things. Therefore they proclaim a great deal of superimposition and deny all the shravakas in their limited understanding. In more detail, as for the Tirtakas, the Samkhas, Samkhas refer to the cause that consists of an equilibrium of these three factors, or gunas, motility, darkness, and lightness, as the primal cosmic substance, which is permanent, singular, immaterial, hidden, and has the unobstructed power to emanate all kinds of manifestations, since it exists by being endowed with these five characteristics within the cause, the primal substance, the result, its perturbations, <laughs> arises. Thus, the Samkhyas assert that phenomena arise from themselves. Whoa, that's cool. 
The followers of Ishwara say that Ishwara is singular, permanent, dynamic, divine, worthy to be honored, pure, a creator, and independent. The single Godhead who possesses these eight characteristics exists as the cause of all outer and inner entities. Thus, his followers hold that results arise from a cause that is something other than the results. The followers of Vishnu and others maintain that inner and outer entities arise from both the self, which is endowed with five characteristics, and the power of a creator, who is something other. The Lokayatas assert that the entire world and its inhabitants arise without a cause, causelessly, that is just by nature. As their scriptures say, the rising of the sun and the downhill flow of rivers, the round, this is like priceless, this phrase, the roundness of peas, the long, sharp tips of thorns, and the colorful patterns of the feathers of a peacock's wings, all these were created by nobody. They came about through their very nature. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Like, why are peas round? Why are thorns sharp? Why did why are there thorns? Why do peacock feathers? They always use the peacock feathers as an example of like the most intricate phenomena. Like, why do peacock feathers have such immense uh, detail and uh, a variety of colors and? <clears throat> shapes and so forth. It's like, who could have created such an incredible detail and variety and subtlety? From among all the proponents of philosophical systems, these latter are the worst because they completely deny even the ways in which the world directly appears. We see things grow from other things, you know, simple, you know, common sense, you plant seeds, you moisture, water them, and then something grows, you know. As for those who assert a creator, in Tibet, the followers of Bun, oh, assert that everything good and bad in the world, which consists of the outer container and its contents. This is a frequent way in the Buddhist tradition that they sum up everything. They say, the container, that's the environment. <laughs> it's like we're, we live in a big jar or a big like bowl that's the container and then the contents are all the beans and it's like the trees and the greenery and the rocks they're part of the container they're not sentient in the traditional view um let's see isn't that fairly similar to the way we tend to think though maybe i mean maybe granted we is. may we may say that you know plants have some kind of existence or something like that but we tend to separate beings and everything else yeah i think so i think so <laughs> uh let's see assert that everything good and bad in the world consists of the outer container and its contents is created by the so-called unfathomable cha I don't know if Cha must be some god right the Tirta could say that everything is created by ishwara brahma or Vishnu, with oneself and the world thus being produced by them. Since all of these views are nothing but the mistakenness of wrong ideas, one should cast them far away. And 
that leads us right up to the Buddhists, the refutation of the Buddhist systems. So we have a nice, wonderful little presentation of uh, Madhyamaka here in the middle of this text, Distinguishing Consciousness and Wisdom. Anybody notice anything so far about this text that's different from all the other texts in the book? It's clearer. It's clear. <laughs> you can freaking understand it. <laughs> it's in the English language. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's such a relief. And, you know, Kempo Tsuljum Gamso, whom I studied with for years at Karma Shai, I'm pretty sure he, presented, he either spoke about this text or he presented it. And I remember it as being like this great text that I wanted to share with with you guys, you know, in this in this course, because I remember it as being so clear and helpful in understanding these things. And he also mentioned the Tathagatahart and so forth, and I thought they would be similar. But anyway, it's such a relief, I think. <laughs> so on that note. Let us uh, do our little chanting. Not quite sure what happened to our chant. There it is. Uh, sorry. Any uh, comments or questions or announcements or thoughts? I circulated a, a, a link to a talk by Tupton Jinpa, wonderful Tibetan teacher and translator on Buddha nature. Perhaps that will be of interest. Um, any other comments or questions? Okay, then. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, May the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you. Nice to see you all. Um, yeah. Enjoy the cold weather. Yes, ma'am. Just a question. What do you figure? Um, what What's the length of time that we're going to be going on? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, we're on page 265 out of... I mean, I won't hold you to it. I just want to sort of get an idea. Oh, this, this book never ends. It just goes on and on. <laughs> And then I we think, go back to the beginning. <laughs> I think we have two more two more classes. It goes until three twelve, which, if I can still do math, is uh, forty seven ish pages. So I think that's two more classes if we can go through at a good pace. So and then we'll take a, a a break for a week and dive into meditation. How's that? Okay, thank you very much. Take care. Nice to see you.